Well, good morning and uh, happy Father's Day to you. It's uh, a, a real privilege and a, a joy to be a dad. And uh, even just this morning, uh, my nine-year-old son got up early and his intention was to make me breakfast in bed. He was a little bit uh, disappointed that I was already up. But, um, uh, but he did make me coffee. So that was, uh, that was a wonderful gift uh, to start the day off this morning. And uh, um, I just want to say to those of you who are dads, to those of you who are granddads, um, thank you. Your work, your investment, it's important. It's valuable. We live in a world that increasingly seems to suggest uh, that the role that dads play is, is, is not really that big a deal, but it is. So thank you for those of you who are seeking to faithfully uh, do what God has called you to do. You know, uh, the late Bible teacher and seminary professor Howard Hendricks uh, said a number of years ago that the greatest crisis in America is a crisis of leadership. And the greatest crisis of leadership is a crisis of character. Now, it's been some years since, uh, since he said that, but um, I think that that is as much true today as it was when he spoke those words, and no matter what level that you're looking at and no matter where you may be on the political spectrum, I think we can agree that there is not a single office in the land that would not benefit from a greater degree of character. Uh, it, it, it's, it's true also in uh, the church as well. I'm sure that it has not escaped your attention uh, that even here in our own region, there have been those who have been leaders in the church that because of an issue of character have left many casualties behind them both inside of the church and outside of it. And I want to suggest to you that there's also a crisis of character-based leadership in too many of our homes across this land, uh, either because there are men who, who don't even realize that they hold the mantle of leadership, that they have been entrusted with this great privilege and responsibility, or because in, in some instances there is a distorted view of what true authority looks like and is abused, or because, again, of a compromise in character. It's come to be that no matter what that person may say, those around them no longer are able to trust and follow because of what they do. There is a crisis of leadership in the nation, in the church, and in the home. And this is nothing new. We're not the first to experience this. In fact, really, as we look down through the generations, there's a sense in which this has been the case in every time and in every place. Certainly, this was an issue in the days of the prophet Malachi as we uh, come to the end of the Old Testament. We started our series last week uh, uh, on this, this last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Uh, we saw there that uh, 
uh, when we lose sight of God's loving faithfulness, that we start to blame God for all of the things that we don't like in our life. We saw how that impacts our worship. And as we get ready and we turn there to Malachi chapter 2, in just a few moments, we're going to again see together the impact of losing sight of God's faithful love, and that is that it leads to a leadership that is leading the people astray. You know, in ancient Israel, those who were called into positions of leadership, in particular with the, people, with the priests, they were to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. But what we're going to see together is that they had turned their back on God. As we, this Father's Day, think about this call to faithful leaders, it would be easy for us to talk about the desperate state of this crisis, and it would be easy for us to leave this place feeling kind of a little battered and bruised and beat up by areas that we are falling short. But that is, that's not my intention for us this morning. Rather, as I especially speak to the men amongst us, I also want to address what we're going to see to, to all of us with the prayer that we would catch a vision to be the kind of godly men and godly women who influence those around us in such a way through our lives that people are drawn closer to Christ, that we would live in such a way so that whether our sphere of influence is large or very, very small, that the lives around us would be blessed through our lives. So if you've got a Bible with you, join me in Malachi chapter 2 as we hear what the Lord has to say to his people through the prophet Malachi some 2,400 years ago and what he has to say to us here at Springbrook this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you to open your copy of the Scriptures. I certainly hope you have it with you. And uh, if you're looking for the book of Malachi, uh, if you find the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, you can simply turn back a page and you'll find yourself right there in Malachi. In Malachi chapter 2, we're going to discover why it is that godly leadership is so needed in the world and in the church and in our homes today. Beginning in verse 1, we read, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. And, and so here in, in, in this message of the prophet to the people, we see why it is that godly leadership is so needed, and it's because God will not continue to bless leaders who refuse to honor him. See, the priests of Malachi's day had forsaken their godly calling, and the Lord here warns them of the consequences 
He says, if you will not listen, if you will not take to heart and give honor to my name. They were failing to honor God. Now, when we think about this idea of honoring God, we, uh, we often think about not using his name in vain, not misusing the name of the Lord. And certainly that's a, a part of what it is to honor God's name. When we think about honoring God and honoring his name, we often will think about uh, what we've just been doing, uh, about singing out songs of praise and worship, declaring the greatness of who he is. And that's, that's entirely right and appropriate that we should do. But there's another aspect of honoring God's name that we often overlook. And this was what the, the priests, the spiritual leaders, or at least those who were supposed to be, of Israel at this time were overlooking themselves. And, and that is that they were not only set in a position, in an office, as the leaders amongst the people, but they were to be the physical, visible representatives of God before the whole nation. And, and there was a sense that their task, their responsibility, their calling by God was to live and lead in such a way as that it put on display for the whole nation to see the character of God, who he is and, and what he's like. And, and that through their lives and through the modeling of their lives that the people were supposed to look and, and desire to live likewise, following the character of God, part of honoring God's name is reflecting his character to a watching world. And you see, by the time we come to the pages of the New Testament, we discover that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God declares that you are part of his royal priesthood. And that like the priests of the Old Testament, that you and I, as followers of Christ, have been entrusted this wonderful and sacred and holy calling to be the physical, visible representatives of God before the watching world. We are to put him on display. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, said that we are ambassadors of Christ. Or in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we are instructed, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Now, if you're a parent, you kind of get that picture a little bit because you know what it is to have uh, small children kind of copying everything that you do. You know, maybe, may, maybe your son or your daughter will come in and they'll find your shoes and they'll step into your shoes or they'll put on your overcoat and they'll say, I'm daddy. And then as they get older, you'll hear them come out with a phrase or a, a remark or there'll be a, a, a mannerism that, that you see it and it's like, wow, I didn't realize they picked that up. Sometimes it's a little embarrassing because they'll do that in public and they're like, oh, I wonder where they got that from. Um, but the picture there in this command in Ephesians chapter 5 is that we are to be imitators of God. In other words, one of the ways that we put on display the fact that we are connected to Christ. One of the ways that we put on display that we are members of his family is by our life imitating the character of our God. 
And here in the book of Malachi, Malachi was speaking to the people who were supposed to be taking the lead on this and leading the people. And he says, you need to give heart to this and listen, says the Lord, that you may honor my name. But he goes on to say and to give the warning that God will not indefinitely bless ungodly leadership. You notice that uh, he says here that I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay this to heart. You do not honor my name. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. What's he saying there? He, he, he's talking about the fact that, that there are certain blessings, there are certain uh, privileges that they had as leaders of the people. In fact, there was a wonderful relationship that God established for his people Israel in the Old Testament. And that is that he promised to bring blessing to them in the face of their obedience. When they honored him, they would experience blessing. And when the people, when the, the tribes experienced blessing, then the priests would be blessed because there was provision that was made by all of the rest of the tribes for the priests so that they could give themselves full-time to the work of ministry. And, and, and he explains that, that this is a, a joyful thing, and then when the priests themselves are blessed, then that brings blessing to the people. And so there's this relationship. He's saying, I will bless your curses. Even, I, I will curse your blessings, rather. Even the things which are intended to bring good, if you continue in ungodliness, you will find that they lead only to sorrow and to distress. In fact, back in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a, a series of chapters where God talks about the blessings that he will bring upon the people and the land, but he also gives them warning of the discipline that they will experience if they dishonor him and turn from him. And there it refers to those things as curses that he will bring. And so he is giving warning here. He's explaining that, that, that he will not continue indefinitely to bless ungodly leadership. And in fact, he he gives an interesting picture here. He says, I will spread dung on your faces. Gotta love the Old Testament prophets. They're kind of graphic in their pictures here. And, and, and what he's talking about here is the fact that when the people bought sacrifices uh, for worship, they would bring uh, cows and, and, and ox, and they would, bring, um, uh, they would bring sheep, and they would bring goats and other things. And, and these were to be prepared, and they were to be cleaned. But what you had to make sure as a priest is you had to make sure that none of the dung got mixed in with the offering. After all, it was supposed to be a fragrant offering to the Lord, not a terrible stench. So, uh, so they had to remove all of the dung, and then it would be taken outside of the camp of Israel, away from where the people were, because it was unclean. It wasn't fit to be in the presence of the people or in the presence of the Lord. And what he's saying here is this shameful thing, I will bring you to public shame, says the Lord. He says, it's as if I will take that dung, which is unclean, it cannot be in the presence of the Lord, and I'll smear it on your faces for all of the people to see that I do not consider you to be fit to be in my presence. In other words, there's this shame removal uh, from the presence of the Lord and the position of privilege and leadership. And, and, and yet, I want you to understand here that he says this in the context of a call for them to return to him. 
Notice verse 4, it says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. We'll talk about that covenant in just a moment, but he is, he's saying, I'm giving you this warning that you might turn back to me and that you might honor me again so that you can experience the fullness of the joy and the blessings that I intend for you to know as the leaders of the people. See, here's the thing. We have to understand the seriousness of this, that God takes ungodliness amongst his people, especially his leaders, very seriously. And he will not and cannot bless those who refuse to honor him. You know, sometimes we look around and it seems like some of the most ungodly people seem to be prospering the most, uh, seem to be the most successful. And you know what? Oftentimes out in the world, that's precisely what's happening. People will set themselves for success, but over and over again throughout Scripture, we see that though wickedness may bring worldly success and wealth for a season, that the Lord knows how to reward those who are faithful and discipline and judge those who refuse to honor him. In fact, Jesus even said to his disciples, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet lose his own soul? Speaking of the fact that it makes no difference if there is not an eternal reward then the things that they are pursuing is empty. But you know, sometimes in the church it can even seem this. There can be an ungodly leader whose ministry seems to, at least for a season, continue to prosper and grow and appear to be blessed. But God will not be mocked. He will not continue to pour out blessing and honor upon those who refuse to honor him. And you know, some of us, Some of us have got some stuff in our life that we know is dishonorable to the Lord. Some of us have got some areas of sin that we're holding on to. We're kind of making some excuses about it as as we're, we're not really taking it seriously because we're kind of thinking, well, everything else in my life's really going pretty well. Work's going great. The bank account is really healthy. I just got this great new car. Things with the family is pretty good. God must not take that issue very seriously. So I guess he doesn't really have a problem with it, right? Wrong. We need to understand what God is saying here to the priests is true for us today. And that is that he is gracious and he is merciful and he is forgiving and he does not treat us as our sins deserve because they deserve instantaneous judgment. But no, he is patient leaving room in his kindness for repentance, leaving room for us to humble ourselves before him, deal with that issue before him, confess it, and rid that junk, that dung, from our life and honor him. But do not think that God will be mocked. He will not continue to bless people, and in particular leaders, who refuse to honor him. 
but we need godly leadership. It's so important in the world, in the church, and in our own home today because as this text continues, we see that godly leaders bring blessing to those around them. But ungodly ones bring harm and disgrace. Look with me, beginning in verse 9, because here it says, my covenant with him, this is referring to his covenant with Levi, he just mentioned in verse 4, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. And so here God reminds the priests of how they are supposed to be leading the people and honoring him. He talks about this covenant with Levi. Levi uh, is the 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 tribe from which all of the priests of Israel came, specifically through uh, one of Levi's descendants, Aaron. Uh, But this covenant that he's talking about is probably referring to a covenant that was made with a man by the name of Phinehas in Numbers chapter 25. Phinehas was the grandson of Aaron, and at a situation where the people of Israel were, um, were committing outward and blazon acts of sin, Phineas, uh, Phineas had, a, had a zeal for the Lord, and he called people to repentance. And when nobody else would stand up in the midst of this blatant sin, he stepped up into the fray, made atonement for the people, and led them back to following the Lord. And there in Numbers chapter 25, uh, the Lord says, and I will make a lasting covenant with you, a covenant of life and peace, because you've honored my name. And so what we see here in in what God is saying through his prophet to the leaders of the people is that he is reminding them of the marks of a godly leader. He he says of uh, probably this man Phineas, he, he describes him and he says that he showed reverence and fear for God with an awe filled response to him. And, and so one of the marks of a, godly, of a godly leader is an appropriate reverence and awe for God. You know, perhaps the greatest challenge that any leader faces, regardless of their platform, whether they are in the highest position in the land or whether they are in a business workplace or whether they are in the home, one of the greatest challenges that any leader faces, the greatest temptations, is the temptation of pride. You see, for a leader in particular, it is challenging to keep a right and proper perspective on who they are. But when somebody honors God, when they hold God with appropriate reverence and awe, then instead of seeing themselves in comparison to the people around them, they begin to see themselves in comparison to the greatness of God. When they do, they have a worshipful attitude. They have a right perspective on themselves and a right perspective on the people that they are leading and serving. 
You see, when we lose sight of God, we tend to think of ourselves as being great in our own eyes, and then the people who we're leading as being somehow less than us. And so here through Malachi, he reminds them that a mark of a godly leader is a right reverence and awe for God. It's also, it's also that true instruction without falsehood. So uh, another mark is, 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 is truth without falsehood. Look with me at verse 6. It says, true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. We live in a world that desperately, desperately needs godly men, godly dads, godly believers who are people of truth. It's actually a part of the way that we reflect the character of God to a watching world because God is true. There is no falsehood in him. And there ought to be no falsehood in his people, especially his leaders. Now, the New Testament is abundantly clear that we are to speak the truth in love. This is not just permission to mow everybody down just because we're speaking the truth. No. But we increasingly live in a world that doesn't have a whole lot of time for truth. Finds it inconvenient. We live in a world where people prefer to see truth as something that's, that's, that's relative. Or even worse, increasingly we live in a world <laughs> that states, that, oh, there's no such thing as absolute truth. But no matter what the opinions of people may be, no matter what they find convenient or, or, or comfortable, as God's people, and especially as leaders within our sphere of influence, we must be people who speak the truth, who, whose word is reliable and, and, and trustworthy and consistent. There is an integrity. There is no falsehood. Another mark he shows here is that godly leaders walk uprightly. Look again at verse 6. It says, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. And, and again, this is speaking about reflecting God's character. It's talking about being a person of truth, but it, it, it's talking about being a person of integrity, that no matter what others are doing, no matter which way they're going, no matter which way the wind is blowing, in a situation. The godly leader says, I stand on God's principles and I will walk in his ways consistently, not drifting to the left, not drifting to the right because of what is popular or acceptable, but because I am honoring God. In fact, even the picture of the word here, walking uprightly, it's this idea of literally being able to hold your head up high in the midst of any circumstance because of the consistency and integrity of life. You know, such leaders as this that God is calling the priests of Israel to return to be once again and we're being called to be from this passage. Such leaders experience blessing in their own lives and they bring blessing to others. Certainly the, uh, the first um, a blessing that comes from, from being a godly leader or living a, a godly life is, is the pleasure and the commendation of God. 
of knowing that our lives are in line with the God of the universe and of looking forward to that day and living today and every day in such a way that when we step through the curtain of this life into the presence of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we might be welcomed with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The blessing of the pleasure and the commendation of God. Another blessing that, that godly leaders sometimes get to experience is the blessing of the respect of the people. Notice with me in, in, in verse 7, it says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. Yes, this is specifically aimed at priests. I guess you could translate this over now to, 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 to pastors and elders, but there's a sense in which it's true, I think, for all leaders, whether it be in a, a, a position of leadership or whether it be within the context of the home. Uh, that, that those who are godly, who are seeking to follow God's way and, and, and influence others who have been placed under their care, sometimes get to know the joy and the blessing and the privilege of the respect of people. Here the picture is that people will actually come to you when they have a need. People will seek you out when they need wisdom, when they're looking for truth, when they need perspective, when they need to know what is honoring to God. Some of us have had the blessing in our own life of a parent or a, or a grandparent or somebody else in our life who, who we know that no matter how difficult the decision we face, no matter what it is we're going through, we can go to that person. And whenever we go to that person, we will hear stuff. Sometimes it may be tough, but it is always true. It is always loving. It is always wise because that person is seeking to honor God. Dads, when our kids are young, let's be honest, we spend a lot of time trying to get them to obey and to respect us. You will do what I say. But what if? What if we made it our goal not to have compliance but to live our whole life in such a way that even when they're up and grown and out with their own family, that they would want to come and seek our counsel, that they would want to come and hear instruction and wisdom from our lips because they know that it is a place of truth, it is a place of sincerity, it is a place of grace, it is a place of love, and it is a place of wisdom because it is from the Lord. Another blessing for the godly leader is the blessing of peace. It says in verse 5 that my covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. You see, God delights to reward and bless his people who are walking in his ways with his peace. It's so tragic to me that even so many people in the church of Jesus Christ fail to experience the wonderful provision of God's peace in their life. And oftentimes one of the reasons for that is because we are not availing ourselves of the gift of prayer. Uh, one of the reasons for it is that we maybe have something in our life and we know what God would have us do, but we're still wrestling with him over obedience in it. Here's the thing. There is a joy and a freedom and a peace 
that comes from doing things God's way and saying, God, your way works. There's a blessing for leaders, the blessing of peace. And even though the situation may seem tumultuous and overwhelming, God describes his peace in the book of Philippians as a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it doesn't even make sense. But he holds us fast in it when we are seeking him. And notice another blessing it lists here is that of fruitful and impactful ministry. Where do I see that? It's in verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. Friends, you and I will probably never know this side of heaven how our lives have impacted and influenced others. The godly leader, the one who seeks to honor the Lord, will be blessed with a life that is fruitful and impactful, even though we may not see it in the here and now. In this instance, as he's speaking of of, of this descendant of, of Levi, he's talking about the fact that his life of integrity, of following the Lord, of putting God on display to the people was lived in such a way that other people saw it, other people heard what he had to say, and they were turned from their sin to pursue God. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if people saw your life and saw my life, and because of the way that we lived, because of the way that we spoke, because of the way that we conducted ourselves, because we were consistent as people uh, who are uncompromising in our faith and in our following after God, that they would see that and they would find that to be attractive and that they would say, you know what, I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing because that leads to destruction. I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to follow this guy because he seems, he seems to have something that I don't have and that I don't see in too many other people. What a blessing that would be. But here's the thing, ungodly leaders bring harm and disgrace. Look with me at verse 8 and 9. He says, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. What's he saying there? He's saying you had the privilege. You had the calling to live your life and lead the people in such a way as to turn them from sin, to be an example and a model. But here's the thing. You are still influencing people, but because you have turned from truth, because you have turned from honoring my name, guess what? You're still influencing those people but now you're doing it in a way that causes them to stumble. Causes them to stumble because you're making excuses for your sin, so they think it's not a big issue, so they're making excuses for theirs. It's causing them to stumble because even though the words coming out of your mouth may sound like they are accurate and true, the walk that you're walking is inconsistent. So the people of Israel were being led by leaders who had lost sight of their calling. And because they had lost sight of their calling, the Lord declares that you have corrupted this covenant. This thing that was supposed to be good that I blessed you with, you've corrupted it, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before the people. In other words, there's coming a day where all the people will see what I see inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction, you turn from my ways. What we could say 
is that godly leaders bring blessing to those around them. But ungodly ones bring harm and, and disgrace. And here's the thing, we desperately need godly leaders and, and, and godly dads. So commit yourself to godliness. See, every follower of Christ ought to be pursuing godliness. When we talk about godliness, simply what we're saying is being like God. Now, not being like God in the sense of, I have the spark of the divine in me. No, being like God in terms of our character, living out our lives in a way that reflects who he is. In fact, it is precisely what we are called to. Obedience to Christ and sanctification by his Holy Spirit are all about being conformed to the image of the likeness of Christ the Son. In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have received his gift of life, and, and of salvation, the, the forgiveness that he gives because of his finished work at the cross and through the resurrection, then you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is at work in you to mold you and to shape you and to direct you and to form you and to transform you and to correct you and to convict you and to do it all to form in you the likeness of Christ. And here's the wonderful thing. Even though that process often seems slow and, and, and painful, God has declared in Philippians 1, uh, 6 that he who began this good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will accomplish his work. But later on in Philippians in chapter 2, we're reminded that we have a part to play in this. We're instructed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who is at work in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. What's that saying? It's saying that God is the one who brings about the transformation, but we are to yield to him and to cooperate with him that Christ might be formed in us. That is the pursuit of godliness. And that is what we're all called to. But this Father's Day, Father's Day, let me speak for a moment to those who are dads. Get serious about your own walk with Jesus. You see, you need to stop playing games and, and, and you need to run hard after Jesus. Getting in the Word, meeting Him in prayer, doing whatever is necessary in your life to, 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 to take a hold of him in a greater way than you ever have before. Because the thing is that your kids are watching. And your kids will not pursue God with any greater zeal or passion than they see you doing except for a merciful work of God in their life they will have an attitude towards church that reflects your attitude towards church, but actually possibly a lesser one. They will have an attitude towards prayer and the importance of, of, of reading the scriptures that they see you having. Ah, but I send them to a one on Wednesday nights. That's great, but it is not the primary purpose 
of the church. It's not the primary responsibility of the Awana program to disciple your kids. It's yours. And dads, you are going to be the greatest spiritual influence that your kids have because there's a whole world around that's waiting to influence them in another direction. So man, get serious about your own walk with Jesus. Get connected with other godly men because here's the thing, I can't do this alone. I can't. I I can't be the kind of leader that God calls me to be. I can't be the kind of husband, the kind of father that God calls me to be in isolation. But the great news is that God didn't save me and then set me on a desert island. There may be some people who wish that he did, but um, uh, he didn't. Uh, he, He placed me into the context of his body, the church. He placed you into the context of his body, the church. You are not here by accident, but by divine design. And sometimes as men, we, we can be really good at playing the whole Lone Ranger thing. But you've got to get connected with other godly men who are seeking to pursue Jesus, who, who desire to be a godly husband, who desire to be a, a godly father, so you can get together and sharpen one another and challenge one another and encourage one another so that you get involved in a men's study or, or you go and you tap a, a, another godly man on the shoulder and say, hey, could we get could we get together for coffee once in a while? Because I see some things in your life and in your family that, that I need some help in, in mine. And I would just love to spend some time with you. We need to get real about sin and ungodliness in our life. And that means coming before God and, 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 and saying, God, I've played some games and I've made some excuses in these areas, but I want to see your hand of, of great blessing upon my family. And I know that right now I'm not living in a way that honors you. And so, God, I want to deal with these. I don't want to make excuses anymore. So here they are. Would you forgive me for these? Would you help me to be free from these areas? Would you show me if there are other areas that I don't even see yet, but that you're wanting to dislodge from my life? And it may be, maybe that you even need to get together with your wife and with your kids and just confess to them and say, hey, I am so sorry because there are some areas in our family where I have not been the kind of godly leader, the kind of dad, the kind of husband that you need me to be and that I should be. And, and I want you to know that I am pursuing God because I want to be that kind of man, but would you forgive me for the fact that I, that I get angry way too fast? And when I do, I act out in this way. I don't want to do that anymore. Would you forgive me for, for, for being inconsistent, for, for, for demanding that you show this respect to me or do this, but not acting in a way that's worthy of that? How would that transform your family and how would that model to your kids that asking for forgiveness, that changing, that saying sorry, that responding to God's prompting is a beautiful and precious thing? And we need to get active as a spiritual leader. Men, dads, we have a high and holy calling. What would it look like for us to step up and take a hold of that mantle that God has called us to, to lead our family, to lead our wives, to lead our children, to invest in them, to disciple them, to initiate prayer with them, to, to call them over and sit, sit down with them and to open the scriptures. 
to do stuff that looks like spiritual leadership. Be available in the lobby after the service, but if you, if you need a help with a devotional or some tools or to help you get started, to, to, to lead your kids in a, in a family worship time or a family devotional time or, 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 or to do something with your wife, I'd be happy to talk through a few different resources that are available. We have a high and a holy calling and our family desperately needs the kind of godly leaders that God calls us to be. Very briefly, for the sake of time, let me speak to some of the young men here. Maybe you're still in school. You don't have a family of your own yet. You're not out in the workplace yet, or you're just starting out. And you think, well, this all sounds good. Maybe later. No, start this journey now. Don't delay. It gets much harder the further you, that you move into life. Uh, you may not feel like you're influencing anyone right now. You may not feel like you're leading anything. But even amongst your friends, you don't have to go up to them and say, I am your leader. <laughs> but commit to live in such a way before God that other people might see in your life, in your truth, in your integrity, in the way that you walk uprightly before God, something that they are drawn to and want to emulate. Start now. Start now. It will be a blessing to a family if God should choose to give you one later on. It will be a blessing to other people all throughout your life. Older men, grandpas, Maybe that some here are hearing this and you're reflecting and thinking, I didn't do this when my kids were young. Maybe you're even thinking, I wasn't even a believer back then. It's okay to grieve maybe some missed opportunities from the past, but don't allow that to be an excuse now. Look around you, whether it be in the life of your grandkids, whether it be just some younger men in the church, Find someone. Ask God to open your eyes to someone who you can come alongside and you can begin to mentor, that you can come alongside and pour into, that you can kind of be this sort of person in their life to encourage them and be a resource to them. Wives. If I had time, we'd go into more detail on this, but I know that there are many godly Christian women who earnestly desire to see their husbands, their kids' fathers step up into a role of spiritual leader in the home. Pray for them. This isn't easy. We live in a world that's, that, that seems to try to communicate that dads are blithering idiots to be ignored. Just watch TV. Just about every, every father character in every TV show is, is just a waste of space. At least that's what Hollywood wants us to think. Pray for your husband. Pray for them that, that they would catch a vision to be a leader in the home. Uh, look for opportunities, even when they're not doing everything that you would like them to do. Instead of nagging about it, just, just encourage them where you can encourage them. Build them up where you can build them up. And be careful when you want them to step up and to, and to take spiritual leadership. Be careful that, 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 that you're not in the situation where the reason they can't step up is because you've already claimed all the steps. If you're married to a husband who's not a believer, it's probably not the best thing to get a copy of this message and force them to sit down and listen to it, but pray for them. Pray for them that God would awaken their hearts, first of all, to Christ. Look for opportunities, maybe to invite over a, a, a godly couple from the church just to have them over for dinner. 
again, not to double-team them, but just to spend time together and to give them the opportunity to see the impact of other people who are, who are seeking to follow after God. Entrust that to God and see, see what he does with it. And for all of us as the church, here's the thing. We live in a world where it is easy to criticize leaders of every stripe. It's easy to criticize politicians. It's easy to criticize uh, um, uh, church leaders and pastors and elders. It's easy to criticize just about, it's easy to criticize our boss. But what would it be like if we were people who instead of being quick to criticize, quick to tear down, were instead quick to pray for them? Quick to call out to God on their behalf and to seek him and to pray, oh God, would you give us what we do not deserve? Would you give us godly leaders in our land? Would you give us godly leaders in our church? Would you give us godly leaders in our homes? Because there's a crisis of leadership. But God calls his people And yes, dads, he calls you to honor him, to walk in such a way as to be a blessing to everybody around you. What a legacy that would be to leave. What a life that would be to live for the glory and honor of his great name and for the well-being and blessing of our homes, our churches, our communities, and our nation. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, we thank you for the gift of leaders. Sometimes we struggle with them. Sometimes we wrestle against authority, but they are a gift from you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a passion to pray for our leaders. Pray that you would give us godly leaders in our nation, in our church, in our community. And yes, Lord, even in our homes. And Lord, may it begin with us here this morning. Pray especially for dads, for men, for husbands who are here today. Oftentimes the world in which we live seeks to pull them down or to criticize but you delight to bless and to use those who seek to honor you. Father, I pray that this church would be filled with godly men, men who are pursuing you, men who are passionate, even despite flaws and challenges and difficulties, uh, to keep short accounts with you and to influence the others around them in a way that brings blessing. Lord, would you teach us to do that? I pray that you would reveal in each of our lives, even today, how you would have us take the next step to become the kind of godly leaders that you would call us to be. That we would live, first and foremost, for your honor and your praise. But Lord, also in such a way that brings great blessing to our children, and should you tarry to our children's children and beyond. We ask this in the mighty 
and matchless name of Jesus.